helping to secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity. This is the Constitution Study on the America Out Loud Network with your host, Paul Engel. ago, I taught Sunday school. Several of those years, I was teaching high school teenagers. Every year, I would point out to my students that the most difficult question I would ask all year was, why? Now, what makes that the most difficult question for a group of Sunday school students? Because many of them would hide behind what they had heard and didn't really even understand their own answers. Now, over the years, I found asking why to be very important to understanding not only my own position, but those we find in politics and media. Why does the media cover certain stories and not others? Why do politicians promote the policies that they do? And probably more importantly, why do these actors not do certain things? Perhaps if we took some time to consider why we support different policies, we could make better arguments for them. And if we begin to consider why we are told what we are told while other things are kept hidden, we'd be in a better position to choose our elected representatives to protect our freedoms rather than to just promote certain policies. Hello there, Everyday Americans. Paul Engel here with the Constitution Study, where we read and study the Constitution. We teach the rising generation to be free. I'm glad you could join me today. You know, this idea of asking why has become an important part of my understanding of the world around me. And I want to share it with you as we look at some uh, recent news items that I really believe should involve us asking that question, why? Now, one thing we have to remember about asking why is we don't always get a firm answer, meaning there isn't always enough data, enough evidence to give us a, 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 an answer we can trust in. We're more likely to be dealing with probabilities. Here's a perfect example. Uh, I've already talked about the, um, the manifesto, the mass murder from the Nashville uh, shootings back in March. And the fact that, well, this information still has not been revealed. It's still being held by the FBI for some reason. They claim it's because it's an investigation file, but what are they investigating? They're certainly not charging the murderer with a crime. She's dead. But it brings up some interesting questions. Well, for example, Tennessee Firearms Association and the National Police Association have sued to get access to this this person's journal. Uh, America First Legal has joined in, arguing that both the city of Nashville and Davidson County are violating the the state's Public Records Act by not releasing this information. While at the same time, the Wisconsin Institute for Law and Liberty is suing the FBI to get access to the data that they're holding. Now, the other thing we need to notice is not only are there a lot of people asking for this data, but this withholding of of the quote-unquote manifesto seems to go against, well, the standards of practice that we've seen so often before. Corporate media outlets, other groups uh, have have frequently used these manifestos as um, evidence they can use to portray these people as right-wing extremists. But here we have somebody who maybe doesn't fit that mold. Could it be that the reason why this information is being hidden is because there's information that they don't want exposed politically 
In other words, it's not a question of the crime, it's the politics behind the criminal. I mean, compare this to the uh, shooting on May 6th in Allen, Texas, when a, another murderer uh, opened fire in an outlet mall, killing eight people. Since then, the press has gone to great lengths to portray this person, this, by the way, who's obviously Hispanic, as being a white supremacist of some sort. Now, interestingly enough, uh, newspapers like the New York Times thought it was so essential to understand the motive behind the Texas, the Texas murderer, um, they, they, they thought it was in- essential to understand the reasoning behind the killer, but not so much with Nashville. Now, with the Nashville murders, I see le- much less in the media calling for access to this, this manifesto. Now, maybe I could come up with the reasons why. And again, I use Texas um, cases, you know, back in 22, 2022, there was a shooting in Buffalo, super, in a Buffalo supermarket. In 2018, a Pittsburgh synagogue. All of these, the motives were released that were fairly quickly. Why not Nashville? And there's a couple reasons I've heard put forth that are possibilities. Again, not proof, but possibilities. In other words, it's not causa- necessarily causation, but it certainly is correlation. Reason number one is, well, the school that was that where the murders took place was a blatantly Christian school. The Covenant School in Nashville is attached to a church. So could this have been an example of, uh, say, anti-Christian animus by the murderer? Why would the uh, would would media and others not want that publicized? Well, because it kind of defeats the the anti-gunner narrative of these mass murders being, you know, white supremacists. If this church, if this school was attacked because it was associated with a church, that might not fit the motive. Uh, could it be that the murderer claimed to be transgender and, well, we wouldn't want that to be associated with that lifestyle? Um, I don't know. And I don't think we will know until we get access to this data. So when we come to the why... I can't give you a good firm reason why this is being held. I know a lot of people have made a lot of very blunt statements. I'm looking at this going, I don't know why. But I'm really starting to think there's a really good reason we need to know why this information is being held back. Now, I saw an article in, in the Tennessee Star that um, brought up a, a, another interesting twist on this. You see, the attorneys for that school, the Covenant Presbyterian School, they've filed a motion in one of these lawsuits that is seeking the release of the the manifesto, and they are asking that it not be released. Or at least that they have some say in what gets released. Why? Well, according to records that were sought by Star News Digital Media, uh, the parent company of the Tennessee Star, the church, the lawyers for the church claim that the information may include and or relate to information owned by the Covenant Church, including but not limited to the schematics of church facilities and confidential information pertaining to Covenant Church employees. So I can see this as having a reason why maybe they wish to redact some of this information. In other words, um, if information like I said, schematics or information about the employees that may be used against the school, maybe they don't want that out. Um, I could see that. To me, there's a logical why behind that. 
it's one of the things I look for, right? So why? Well, there's information. Okay, I can understand that. I could certainly see um, redacting out personally identifiable information. And I could certainly see redacting out information that is owned by the church that is not publicly available. Now, the question is, is the schematics of the church facilities, are they already on file as public records? So I don't know where this church sits as far as the zoning of the city of Nashville. And, and you know, is, it, is, it, is this information available in the planning records of the city? Does the city have a set of blueprints that is open to the public? I don't know. But at least there's a decent why behind this one. And, and I'm kind of curious to see where this, this goes. Um, will the, the, church has, the, the church has asked for the ability to be involved. Um, they want to intervene because they want to protect some of their own data. Okay, we'll see where that goes. Now, my next story is kind of an update on a blast from the past. You'll remember that the the FDA has records involving the licensing of the uh, mRNA-based shots, the quote-unquote COVID vaccines from Modizer, uh, Moderna and Pfizer. <laughs> Modizer, got that one all. Now, the FDA requested, what, originally 75 years to produce this data, which is absolutely atrocious. And now the FDA wants 23 and a half years to produce this data which to me is, is, is ridiculous for a couple of reasons. Um, one is, if it took you that long to go through the data to make sure that it was sanitized of any personal identifiable information, why did it take you not even a, a, a tiny fraction of that time to decide the data was good and could be used to make a decision about an experimental treatment? But there's more. So what's the other reason behind this? Because I have seen reports that this data was made available to a third party, Oracle Systems. Um, they are a major data processing, uh, database data processing company. I mean, major in the IT industry. And a set of data was provided to, was made accessible to them that was sanitized of personally identifiable information. So they've already got sanitized data that, that the FDA has made available to a third party. Why will they not make it available to the public? And again, that why is something we may not truly know until the data finally hits the market. But in their attempt to slow roll, to slow things down, um, the FDA has hit a bit of a speed bump, so to speak. See, a judge in Texas has ordered the FDA to make its data public um, by mid-2025. In other words, a little more than two years. So it went from 75 years to 23 and a half years. Now they're down to another two and a half years before this data will be made public. And people who can decipher the data, that understand the data, can then look at it and start telling us, hey, what's going on in here? But again, we're asking the question, why? I could see some fairly nefarious reasons why the FDA would want to take so long in providing this information. One is um, to make sure it's sanitized, maybe overly sanitized, shall we say. In other words, redacting not simply personally identifying information, but information that might be embarrassing to the FDA. Maybe even show uh, malfeasance or criminality. They may want to do that. That's a possibility. Um, it may be that... Um, they're, they're really worried about releasing 
uh, personally identifiable information more than they would to a third party because it's going public. And they really want a chance to make sure that several eyes see this. Again, we don't know. It, it looks suspicious at first glance, but we don't know why. And that is part of the, the, the legal remedy, the, the judicial process, is to make sure that information that should be made available is made available either to parties to the case or publicly in order to um, prevent the criminal hiding of information. See, when, when the, the First Amendment says that the Congress can't make a law that um, denies you the right to petition your government for redress or grievance, this is part of the process. Aaron Siri represents plaintiffs that are attempting to sue the federal government, the FDA, uh, to get access to this information to make sure that the FDA didn't violate the law, didn't violate their policies, didn't, uh, didn't, um, are not, um, are not associated with harm to individuals, to people, because of their either bad actions or negligent actions. But if the FDA is allowed to hide behind legal stalling long enough, well, one, it, it loses its, um, its impact. The, the, the announcement loses its impact. I mean, let's face it, the, we're already, what, two years almost into the, the quote-unquote vaccines, we're talking about another two and a half. Are we talking five years later? Oh, guess what? The FDA didn't follow the rules. Well, what are you going to do now? Is the Are the people that actually did this still there? Can you actually punish them? Yep. Good question. But there's another idea here, and that's the idea that justice delayed is justice denied. That the longer you wait for justice, there's a cost to that. These attorneys cost money. The, the families that maybe that are plaintiffs that are looking for this data to see um, is the injury, the harm that came to their family members, was it, it caused or exacerbated or somehow other impacted by how the FDA dealt with this data, the longer that wakes, they've got their legal fees, they may have medical fees, all of this builds up to the point where the, the process becomes the punishment. The not for the FDA, but for the people trying to get access to the data to see maybe they can find out why their loved ones were injured, why possibly their loved ones were killed, or why their own rights were denied by this government agency. See, it's important, I think, we take the time, we ask the question why, but that we do so in, in, in such a way to not jump to conclusions, not not to jump the shark, to use some, some of the vernacular, to make sure that our decisions are based on actual data and that we know what we know, but we also know what we don't know and, and that we make smart decisions. I've got some other examples I want to bring to you, but I have to take a break. Before I do, though, I have a couple things I want to let you know. Uh, first of all, I hope you'll visit the website constitutionstudy.com. You can find out all that we're doing here at the Constitution Study. I've got my Patriots program that's spinning up. Uh, if you're in Middle Tennessee, I'm working on a mini boot camp around Independence Day, uh, both of which can be found on the website. You can sign up for updates as these things come online. I really hope that you do because I'm looking for how many people would be willing to come to Middle Tennessee, to Bedford County, Tennessee, to attend this boot camp to see how big of a venue I need. So 
please, if you're interested, just go to the website, let me know, againstconstitutionstudy.com. Now, also, I've noticed there are a lot of these patriot groups that um, they're online and they're trying to get things going, but they're not IT people. You know, they, they go to a company, they get a domain name, they set up a website, but they don't really know how to take care of the website. And I guess part of what I'm trying to do here is help them out. I'm going to use my, my years and decades of IT experience to help these people. So if, you, uh, if, if you're part of a group or you have a website and you really want some help monitoring it and managing it and making sure it stays up and healthy, well, you can contact me through the website. Uh, just contact Paul and I'll tell you about the, the services I'm providing that maybe you can use to help you keep your website up and running and functioning well. And last but certainly not least, I'd love it if you checked out Healthy Cell. They are a leading innovator in supplements designed to work at the cellular level. They've got a lot of great products, but one I use regularly is called Focus and Recall. You ever get to the end of the day and, well, you're having a hard time focusing. The work just doesn't seem to get done. You read the same paragraph over and over again. Well, that's when I reach for Focus and Recall. It'll boost my short-term focus and my long-term brain power using nothing but healthy cells, vitamins. No caffeine, no sugar like you find in, in coffee or energy drinks. Now, as an America Out Loud listener, you can get 25% off your first order of Focus and Recall or any products, any order you place at Healthy Cell. Just use the code OUTLOUD at checkout. So please, go to HealthyCell.com, put your card together, but when you place that order, make sure you use the code OUTLOUD at checkout. It lets them know that you listen to America Out Loud, and as a thank you, will you get 25% off your first order. In 2008, people could spend an average of 12 seconds on a task without becoming distracted. Five years later, it was only eight seconds. The digital age is narrowing our attention span. Trouble concentrating or recalling information is frustrating, embarrassing, and kills productivity. Advanced nutrition company, Healthy Cell, created Focus and Recall to boost your brain power. And unlike other supplements that don't work, Focus and Recall is not a pill. It's a patent-pending gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed ingredients to help you immediately sharpen focus, concentrate longer, and strengthen recall. These physician-formulated gels come in a small gel pack. Tear off the top, shoot it down. Thousands of five-star reviews proves it works. Supercharge your brain and see the difference. Go to HealthyCell.com and use limited time code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Risk-free. Love it or your money back. Guaranteed. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD. Whether you're an independent, a Democrat, or a Republican, one thing remains true. Airborne viruses love us equally. You've all heard Malcolm and the great Dr. Peter McCullough talk about the advanced nasal solution, Cofix Rx. Cofix is made in the USA and recommended by thousands of doctors and pharmacists nationwide. Did you know that doctors and nurses have been swabbing their noses with povidone iodine to protect from airborne threats like colds, flus, and pandemic era strains for decades? Cofix Rx took that idea and made a more complete nasal formula with lasting cleansing effects. Maybe you're traveling soon or going to an event. Are you concerned somebody nearby might be sick? Maybe the office or classroom stresses you out. Get yourself a bottle of Cofix Rx nasal solution. Spray goodbye to colds and flus with a Cofix Rx nasal solution cleanse. That's cofixrx.com. Save 20% by using promo code OUTLOUD at cofixrx.com.
The pandemic may be over for some, but millions of Americans are needlessly suffering from the long-term effects of toxic spike protein from COVID-19 and the vaccines. Fortunately, Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at the wellness company designed their spike support formula with the miracle enzyme natokinase, scientifically studied to dissolve spike protein so you can feel your very best. Go to OutloudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Welcome back, Everyday Americans. You rejoin the Constitution study. And today, we're focusing on the question, why? Understanding why things happen, the motivations behind things happening, this need to understand why, I found to be so important to revealing the world around me. Now, I've talked a bit about the Nashville shooting and, and some other shootings and, and what's been going on. There's an interesting article I found. This one came out of Headline USA. And it's a report by a Dmitro Alexandrov. I guess he goes by the name Henry. And he talks about a citizen journalist he met that um, met with the Maricopa County election director, Ray Valenzuela. And she met him at a, a secret invite-only summit on American democracy. And this gets to a point that I want to reinforce because I keep asking why. I point out that America is not a democracy. It's a republic. And I'll tell you what, I get lots of pushback. I get a lot of people that keep pushing back that, no, we're a democracy because we elect people and, and a lot of other things. I point out that they, Merriam-Webster's basically redefined democracy in order to make it a republic to make it seem better. But when I keep going back to history, I look at, like I said, the, the, the history of this, I found an interesting quote from none other than Karl Marx, who said, democracy is the road to socialism. Now maybe we understand why this incessant, repeated use of the word democracy, of referring to America as a democracy. See, I, I, always, I kind of had a clue of this when I saw that East Germany used to be called the, the, the German Democratic Republic. Or that the, the full name of North Korea is the Democratic Republic of Korea. And I always notice how these socialist communist countries love to have the word dem democratic in their name. And then I found the quote that democracy is the road to socialism. So when I see people talk about the need to protect American democracy, I understand what they're talking they, they, While they may not intend this, what they're really talking about is America's road to socialism. Either that or just referring to the Democratic Party, which is on its own road to socialism. But again, why did they have this secret meeting? Why was election director Ray at uh, Valenzuela at this secret meeting? And this is where it came out. You see, according to the citizen journalist, director Valenzuela told her exactly how to abuse the ERIC voter registration system. Now, if you're not familiar, the ERIC system, I forget what ERIC stands for, but it, it was set up to uh, improve the voter rolls so that when someone moved from one state to another, if they were both participants in this ERIC voter registration system, then the state that was where the person was leaving would be notified that this person now is registered in another state so they could drop them from the rolls. 
Now, according to the, uh, the, the reporting from the, the citizen journalist, I asked him, if you were to do it, how would you do it? He said, oh, I'll tell you what I would do. Everybody's got the ERIC system except some states. So what I would do is I would move from an ERIC state to a non-ERIC state. It'd never find me. You'd never match up. And you'd never be eliminated for your two votes. Otherwise, when you have your name on one state that's not an ERIC state and your name on an ERIC state, well, it just so happens that you can vote twice. Now, I'm willing to pause for a second and say, is he encouraging people to commit voter fraud or is he pointing out a flaw in their system? That's, that, that, that's got to be in, intent matters here. And since we don't have the whole interview, we don't have the whole discussion, we don't have that context. So I'm not like some I've read jumping to the conclusion that um, this Arizona uh, election director is, is trying to cheat. It's possible. But from the quotes I've seen so far, um, I haven't seen that. But that doesn't mean that things are great with the, the Eric system, which, by the way, is used in, in 30-some-odd states. See, one of the issues with the ERIC system, uh, according to exhibits presented, I believe, at this, at this event, we read, under no circumstances shall the members transmit any record indicating an individual is a non-citizen of the United States. Think about that for just a second. If you are a non-citizen, you do not have the right to vote. If you get registered as a non-citizen, either through fraud or malfeasance or, or just the stupid rules and laws that some of these states and cities are putting in place, allowing non-citizens to vote, well, then that information will not be told to anybody else. Meaning that the ERIC system, again, used by over 30 states, is actually a method to hide attempted fraud. Or I should say, they, they, um, they are not exposing attempted fraud by not letting individuals know who use the ERIC system that the person they're looking at that is a non-U.S. citizen. Now, why would they do that? Why do they wish to hide this information? Well, before I answer that, let me take a look at something else. So how many of you remember Zuckerbucks, Zuckbucks as they were called? This was hundreds of millions of dollars that uh, Mark Zuckerberg and his wife donated to the Center for Tech and Civic Life, an organization that, that was also the, the Center for Election Innovation and Research, leading up to the 2020 election that used this money, well, to enter into local elections and, and help these, these people get out the vote, registrations, get out the vote, other things that, that were um, meant to increase voter turnout. But when it was when the research was done by the Federalist, by an, uh, an author at the Federalist, uh, William Doyle, he found that these grants to help get out the vote were heavily skewed toward Democratic majority counties, meaning they wanted to get out the vote in the Democratic counties. Apparently, not so much in the in, in the Republican counties. But again, this isn't news. This has been around since well. 2021. But what we're seeing is the, the 
other media outlets like the Washington Post columnist Philip Bump, um, he referred to it as as uh, the release of this information from Twitter as Musk shares baseless election claim with millions of Twitter users. Well, isn't that interesting? It's baseless, even though he had evidence. Uh, he went on to say, this is a common way in which Musk elevates right-wing rhetoric. Rhetoric. He'll often engage with fringe voices by declaring their commentary to be concerning. There's just one problem. See, Bump then admits that the purpose of Zuckbucks wasn't to help election offices promote safe and reliable voting, but to increase voter turnout in Democrat-majority areas. In fact, in the article, he says, much of the analysis in federal articles centers on the idea that these investments were larger in more Democratic counties, using that as a peg for the argument that the investments were partisan and critical to Biden's success. But that argument is easily countered. CTCL's investments were often in heavily Democratic areas because those areas have lower turnout rates. If you want to increase turnout, the smartest place to do so is places where turnout is lowest. In the United States, that's often lower-income communities and communities that have higher populations of Black and Hispanic residents, two groups that are often heavily Democratic. Do you realize what he just said? He didn't refute the fact that the money was given to uh, uh, heavily Democratic areas. He just tried to come up with a reason to explain it. Now, the question we're going back to is, why? And I want to go back to what I was saying before. Why did we have this uh, secret meeting about Eric? Why do we have uh, these these um, part? The, the, why why is the Washington Post pointing out that? Well, no, it wasn't partisan. It just was was partisan. Um, why? Well, for a couple of very interesting reasons. Now, one I would say is, and again, I'm now going into speculation. I don't have proof. Well, except I have a lot of history that shows most of the corporate media is little more than a propaganda arm for the Democratic Party, which is effectively the Socialist Party of this country. Because remember, Mark said it, democracy is in, is required for socialism. Or, or how do you put it? Um, democracy is the road to socialism. So if we're going to get there, we got to get the Democratic Party going, which kind of explains maybe why um, certain members of the uh, of, of directors of, of elections, certain people involved in the elections might want to have a meeting on American democracy, a summit on our democracy, our road to socialism, and we may want to keep it quiet. We don't want people to know, we don't want people to hear out loud what we're actually working towards, whether we realize it or not. Well, let's switch gears a little bit and... Um, let me take a look at a recent uh, commencement address that President Biden gave to Howard University. In this commencement address, and you may have heard this before, uh, he made the statement that the most dangerous terrorist threat to our homeland is white supremacy. I want you to think about that for just a second. This, I have to ask, why? I've got a couple, again, a couple of good theories. And it would explain not only why President Biden would say this, but why we see so much of it in the rhetoric out of the DOJ and the FBI and the White House in general. There's two theories that I have here, and my guess is the truth is probably some a mixture of the two. Truth number one, 
To a racist, everything is based on race. To a racist, everything is racist. And to see the history of not simply the Democratic Party, but of Joe Biden himself, the man is a racist. He's a he, the, the, he was um, he was hanging out with uh, was it Grand Dragon of the Ku Klux Klan? Uh, he referred to Obama as the first clean Negro, clean African American to run for president. Um, you know, statements that anyone else would say would be considered racist. And everything is judged based on a person's race. Just look at the people he's put in his cabinet. It's not based on their skills or qualification. It's based on their race or their sexuality. So to them, yes, everything that disagrees with them, well, that must be white supremacy, which is why we laugh so hard when we see you know, they, people calling um, uh, Justice Thomas a white supremacist because the man is black. But there's another clue in here. Because he continued on to say, and I'm not saying that because I'm at a black HBCU, historically black college university. I say it wherever I go. Why? I think the answer is simple. It's not that white supremacy is the most serious problem we have in America. It is not the most dangerous threat to the homeland. No. What it is, is it's a tool to... to, the Democratic Party, specifically Joe Biden, has been losing appeal in the black, uh, the black uh, neighborhoods. Remember, and again, it's not just Biden. Remember, Trump during uh, the State of the Union address one year pointed out that black unemployment was at historically low levels, and while everybody cheered, the Congressional Black Caucus sat blank-faced before what should be good news to them. Add to that uh, Biden's history of just pathological lying, and this is nothing to do with the truth. This is a political move. It's meant to shore up his base. But the thing about white supremacy, about the, this claim, is it's designed to label people to either completely dismiss them or to change your focus. Because at the same time that Biden is claiming that you know white supremacy is on the rise, we find out that there are at least five different sets of whistleblowers claiming that, um, well, Biden's fraudulently involved in, in some, or is involved in some of the Biden family fraudulent business. Chuck Grassley says he's got whistleblowers from the FBI that have evidence that Joe Biden has been involved in some of the criminal, some of the family businesses that have, let's just say, a possible criminal activity. We have um, the former business partner of Hunter Biden, uh, Tony Bobulinski, who has turned over information about uh, some of the, the uh, shady activities of him. We have an ex-White House aide, White House aide that says the FBI ignored Joe Biden's role in, in uh, the Ukraine business dealings, the apparently uh, abuse of his role as vice president to um, get somebody who's going, a prosecutor going after his son fired. We have an IRS whistleblower that says the Biden administration interfered with a tax fraud probe on his son, Hunter. And there are allegations from the Department of Justice back in 2018 that Joe Biden was involved in bribery. Well, that they've basically been, for the most part, swept under the table or ignored. Now, you may be asking, Paul, why is that important? Well, it's important because it's not simply what a person says. But it's the character, the history of the person that is saying it that should impact your 
decision, your understanding of why they are saying what they're saying and how much you should value what they say. It makes a big difference if it's if it's Joe Biden saying this is a problem or if it's a, a Clarence Thomas, a, a Colin Powell, a Candace Owens, a Ben Carson, a Larry Elder. Who says this has an impact on how you interpret what gets said. So that's why I brought that to light and that's why I pointed it out. And the reason why I'm going to stop for a moment is because I have to take another break. Before I go, though, I want to remind you that, you know, the Constitution study is just one of several voices heard here on America Out Loud. And that's a good thing. You know, it's easy to, to have somebody that's always agreeing with you, but different voices, different ideas, different points of view, different reasons why is how we find the truth. So do like I do. Make AmericaOutloud.com a daily stop for news and information. But it's more important than ever that we don't simply go there, but we share the information. We take the stories, the articles, the podcasts, the videos, and we share them with friends, family, on the internet, wherever we can. Bad information is not destroyed by censoring it, but by showing it against good information. And by doing that, by sharing this information, you can help secure the blessings of liberty, not just for you, not just for your family, but for all Americans. Out Loud Truth was the rallying call that started it all. A wide spectrum of programming from world and political news to societal, your health, and cultural stories. Seven amazing years of news stories, informative podcasts, and great talk radio. America Out Loud Talk Radio. Liberty and justice for all. You wouldn't go a day without brushing your teeth or washing your hands. What about washing your nose? I mean, your nose does filter the air you breathe, air loaded with bacteria, viruses, and irritants. Make nasal hygiene part of your routine with Clear. No messy bottles to fill, no drowning sensation. Clear is a natural drug-free saline with the added benefit of xylitol, which blocks bacterial and viral adhesion. Available in stores and online at clear.com. That is X-L-E-A-R.com. World-class care from doctors you can trust, all from the comfort of your home. That is One Wellness. Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company launched the One Wellness membership to provide free monthly supplements and unlimited telemedicine access with doctors that share your values. The Wellness Company's Chief Medical Board designed every supplement and medical protocol with your health in mind. From groundbreaking supplements like the Spike Support Formula to unique care like Freedom from Big Pharma. Join a healthcare system that puts your health and well-being above the interest of Big Pharma's bottom line. It's the way healthcare should be with a company that shares your values. Go to OutLoudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first month of One Wellness. Welcome back, Everyday Americans. You've rejoined the Constitution study where we read and study the Constitution. We teach the rising generation to be free, and today we're asking the question, why? Why is it so important that we understand why? The basis for some of these things. 
And I've given some great examples. We've talked about um, issues in the elections. We've talked about issues with um, uh, uh, different reports, information coming out on mass murder events. Um, I got a couple more to throw in at you. So after six years now, we finally have the uh, report from special counsel John Durham into the, uh, the Russia hoax. I know most people say, well, it's not a hoax. No, it's turned out to be a hoax. And there's some very interesting information coming out. And I haven't done a deep dive into the report yet, but uh, there is some information coming out of, of this idea of, of how the idea that um, President Trump colluded with Russia to, to quote unquote, steal the 2016 elections. And a lot of this comes out of the actions of the FBI. Uh, Quoted from the report, indeed, based on the evidence gathered in multiple exhaustive and costly federal investigations of these matters, including the instant investigation, neither U.S. law enforcement nor the intelligence community appears to have possessed any actual evidence of collusion in their holdings at the commencement of the Crossfire Hurricane investigation. Meaning that the actual investigation into this Russia hoax was based on no information. There was no evidence. Law enforcement didn't have any. The intelligence community didn't have any. They didn't have any actual evidence of collusion before they jumped into this investigation. Durham also uncovered what, what he called serious flawed investigations and, and as well as uh, some several red flags. He's he, uh, quoting for the report, Throughout the duration of Crossfire Hurricane, facts and circumstances that were inconsistent with the premise that Trump and or persons associated with Trump uh, the Trump campaign were involved in a collusive or conspiratorial relationship with the Russian government were ignored or simply assessed away. Meaning uh, what's, what's referred to as esculpatory evidence, which is ignored. Think of this as a case, right? If, if um, Crossfire Hurricane was a prosecution and the Trump uh, administration was the defense, basically Crossfire and Hurricane withheld exculpatory information. Now, according to Mr. Durham, uh, there was a confirmed bias at minimum that led to the FBI's years-long malfeasance even before the investigation commenced. He noticed many of the people involved expressed their open disdain for Trump, demanded knowledge of when an investigation of Trump would occur, and asserted that they would prevent Trump from becoming president, meaning apparently the people who were investigating were biased. And in fact, that seems to be quite a common a thread going through the report that the, the the investigators, the FBI, the Department of Justice, even the intelligence community were biased against Trump and told only a one-sided story. And they ignored all the information of the contrary, including, by the way, the fact that the information that was used to create the infamous dossier actually was created at, at the request of the Hillary Clinton uh, campaign to become president. In other words, President Trump's competitor. Again, why? And why is it coming out now? Why was this done? Well, call it the swamp, call it the bureaucracy, but it, 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 it appears that Trump didn't fit in, so the people that were invested in the status quo didn't want him coming in and making a mess, changing things up. Why did it take six years? Well, because now it's six years old. We've had six years of these allegations. You had the the um, 
Of course, you had the Trump campaign. You had four years of the Trump presidency. We're now two years into the Biden presidency, and we're still not getting, you know, just now getting all this information. Imagine if this information had been released in the second year or the third year or even the fourth year of Trump's presidency. What might have been different if the narrative on the street was not the lies and bias promoted by the FBI? Let's take a look at something else. So this interesting article, this was in Epoch Times. Uh, the Transportation Security Authority is installing facial recognition technology in several U.S. airports. Now, of course, I've heard a lot of people with you know, hand-wringing and, oh, it's, it's Big Brother. Here's what's actually going on. See, what the TSA is testing is a system whereby a, a traveler shows up. If you've flown, uh, you know, you, you walk up to a, a podium and there's a TSA agent and you hand them your ID and your ticket and they look at the name of the ticket, they look at the name of the ID, they look at the photo of the ID, they look at you to make sure that you're the actual person that's supposed to be having that ticket to get on the plane. Well, they're trying to come up with an automated system. They're trying to aid the officers to determine if the person on the ID is the person that's actually there. And it works by um, you know, having travelers place their ID in a slot and face a camera. The camera takes a picture, does the facial recognition, looks at the picture on the ID, does a facial recognition, compares them and says, okay, yes, this ID is valid. Now, the TSA is testing this at 16 airports across the country. The concern that I would have, why this would bother me, is not I've got a machine checking my photo ID rather than a human checking my photo ID. My problem is what happens when that photo ID, the picture that the machine takes, is then used to track me all across the airport. And if it's all across the airport, does it eventually become everywhere I go? Every ATM camera, every street camera, do these all suddenly get linked to follow me wherever I go because I might do something wrong? That's where things get, but that's not where we are yet. So why do I bring this up? I bring this up that we ask the question, what's actually happening and why is it important? What's happening is they're trying to automate the recognition and validation of a photo ID, and, and that in itself may not be so bad, but we do need to keep an eye out on how it could be used in the future. Now, before I close out for the day, I have a couple of items specifically out of California, or as I like to start calling it, California, because let's fantasize it. Um, California's become a communist state. Yes, they still have a Republican form of government, but that Republican form of government is decidedly communist. Now, the story, the, two, the first story comes out of Oakland. And uh, the Oakland Education Association, uh, a teacher's union, finally came to an agreement with the Oakland Unified School District on a new, uh, on a new contract. Okay, that's not, uh, that's not groundbreaking news. What is, however, is the fact that part of this tentative agreement is that the school district will create Reparations for Black Students Task Force. That's right. Black students who's never encountered slavery, and at this point, few of which have, act, have encountered much actual systemic racism. Actual, the, I'm not saying there aren't racists out there, but let's face it. Systemic racism has become the boogeyman to blame everything that goes wrong for black people. 
But that brings me back to my question of the day. Why? Why is California pushing so hard for, quote unquote, reparations? Because they're not legally reparations. See, see, reparations are meant to to repair, uh, to make amends for something done in the past. Well, let's face it. The people that would be paying reparations, again, the people who um, pay the taxes in the Oakland School District, did they actually oppress black people? Did, did they own slaves? Did they participate in systemic Did they put in place systems of systemic racism? And the people who would receive these, these quote-unquote reparations, do they show evidence that they have been directly put upon, that they were enslaved, that they were treated as second-class citizens because of the color of their skin? I know there are people out there going, are you denying that that the racism happened? No. I actually, well, you know, I've experienced it, not where I was, was, was put upon. I grew up in the 70s. And there still was, um, there still was more rampant racism. But I'm living now in the 2020s. The, the kids in the school district were born in the 21st century, long after we had put mo- the, the 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 actual governmental, political, systemic racism aside. I'm not saying there aren't people that are still racist. I meet them, but that's not the same as saying that the school district is racist, especially one in Oakland, California. So I have to ask why. And the only answer that comes to mind, again, I have no proof, but the only answer that has that comes to mind is it's a con game. This is a con game. It, 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 it's a scam. It's, it's the equivalent of the Nigerian prince scam. You say, I've got, you know, you've got people saying, we, there's systemic racism, we've paid for it, we have this problem, therefore you must give us money. Instead of the Nigerian prince saying, you'll make a lot of money for it, they're playing on the guilt of people. But it's nothing but a scam to gain, to make money. That's what this appears to be all about. Speaking of scams out of California. <laughs> so California is supposed to be this, this green, this eco-paradise. They have all these, these rules and regulations about keeping themselves eco-friendly. They want an eco-friendly state. This is wonderful. Look at how wonderful we are. We do all of this stuff. Well, now the dirty little secret is coming out. See, since 2010, California has dumped nearly half of its hazardous waste in neighboring states. Mostly, by the way, Utah, Arizona, and Nevada. At least that's according to state figures from the Department of Toxic Substances Control in a, in a, a presentation they put together. And in that, they show that, now, by the way, half of it um, is not only just those three states, but they're also, there's like a total of 13 different states that are receiving some of this toxic waste. In the past 13 years, the state of California has dumped 3.7 million tons of hazardous waste in Utah, 2.9 in Arizona, and nearly 2.3 in Nevada. Now you may be asking, Paul, why are you bringing this up? Well, it kind of shows the lie. See, California isn't so much eco-friendly because they're, they're um, dealing with their hazardous waste. They're just giving it to somebody else to take care of. They're just dumping their problem on other states. Why? Well, you see, those states don't have 
as rigorous regulations as California does, which means all the regulations, or I shouldn't say all the, the regulations that California put in place to deal with this, these toxic substances, this hazardous waste as they identify it, has not reduced the amount of hazardous waste so much as it has pushed it off for other people to have the problem. By the way, this is nothing new. Um, all your solar panels, most of the components are actually made in China. The mining is done by China, often in sla with slave labor, often with child labor, um, often in, in, in horrendous conditions. The toxic sludge that is made from the mining and the processing, we, don't, we haven't gotten rid of it. We just, we're letting China deal with that. We're letting China have all the toxic waste. By the way, same thing for many of these wind turbines. A lot of the material needed, the batteries for electric vehicles, a lot of the toxic sludge that is part of, of the so-called green agenda isn't actually green. It actually produces more pollution, more crud. We just don't have it in our backyard. We shove it off on China. Doesn't that kind of make us our, our toxic waste slaves? And before you go saying, well, you know, it's all those evil corporations and, and all that stuff. Well, there's an investigation published by a group called Cal Matters. Cal Matters. And they found that the biggest out-of-state toxic waste dumper was actually California's Department of Toxic and Substance Control. So I come back to the question, why? Why? Because we want to look good. And we're more worried about looking good than we are in being good. You see, California politicians and bureaucrats and look at, we are clean. We have all these tough regulations only to find out that it doesn't mean they're dealing with the problem. They're just shoving it off somewhere else. They're dumping their, their garbage in somebody else's backyard. So let me ask, why do I think asking the question why is so important? Well, the first thing is questions are great at Dealing with assumptions. If you're serious about asking, why do you think something is a certain way? Why do you believe a certain policy will work? Why do you believe a certain thing is true? You challenge your own assumptions. And by, by the way, you also challenge the assumptions of someone else. You know, someone comes to me and says, uh, America's a democracy. Why do you say that? And I can give evidence that says, no, we created a republic. And as I said, the only evidence anyone has ever shown me that uh, America is a democracy revolves around the fact that Merriam-Webster changed the definition. I'm not sure exactly when, but they changed the definition somewhere, in, in, I believe in the 20th century, in order to make democracy seem good. Why do so many people use na names like you know white supremacists and, and transophobe and homophobe? Why? Well, often because it's a way of shutting people down. It's a way of not dealing with the facts, but simply uh, making a bold statement to try and to stop the argument. Which is, why do you say that? Show me, what have I said that actually shows, says that, I'm, um, that I believe the white race is, great, is better than every other race? Or why do you think I'm afraid of homosexuals? Or why do you think I'm afraid of transgender people? And when you do that, very often you'll see the, the supposed argument crumbles. And that is why I think it is so important. One, to make sure that the arguments you make, the decisions, the policies, your preconceived notions, we all have them. 
to make sure they're likely to be founded on truth and reality as anything else. To make sure that your opinions are your own, not just the regurgitation of something you heard or you read, which seems to often be the case. But it's also the way to get to the heart of the arguments that you're trying to evaluate. And hopefully that's something that most Americans really would like to do, to make sure that our our assumptions are correct and that when arguments come to us, we're going to validate them, not based on emotion, not based on a rhetoric, but based on facts and data. And the only way to get to that is to ask, why? Now, if that's something you like, that's something we try to do here at the Constitution Study, and you can hear more every weekday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time on America Out Loud Talk Radio, heard on the iHeartRadio network. If you can't listen then, well, listen to the podcast. They, the episodes go to podcasts generally a day or two after they're heard on the radio. You can listen with your favorite podcast app, but do me a favor, subscribe, leave the show a rating or a review. It helps other people find the Constitution Study as well. That's how we spread the word. Now, you can find all the links you need at the homepage at americaoutloud.com. But please share this information. Share the articles, share the episodes, share the links. Because by doing so, you can help us. You become part of the solution as we share not only news and information, but we share the blessings of liberty to everyone in this great nation. From sea to shining sea.